Really? There we go. Was it me? Uh, yeah, I saw the head nod and shake first. Well, again, if you can hear me and you have a Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. That's where we're going to start here in a moment. And as you're turning there, uh, let me again say, uh, as Dr. David mentioned in the beginning, our, this series is a response to some of the questions that were asked. And so I get the privilege of speaking today, preaching from the Word on being a biblical church member. Now, let me tell you, first of all, what I'm not going to do. Uh, I am not making the case for membership, okay? We're just going to assume that we all understand that we ought to be church members. Um, I only assume that because we've taught through that before. And so today we're working from the assumption that if we ought to be members and then we become members, now what do we do as a church member? And I think for many of us, it can be easy to sort of boil church membership down to a list of things that we do, a list of activities that fill our calendars. And so we think, well, as a church member, I go to Sunday school and I go to the worship gathering, uh, Bible studies, discipleship groups, mission trips, um, mercy ministries, relief efforts, outreach events. That's what it means to be a member, to do those things. And there's, in some sense, yes, those are important things. But I think for us to begin to understand what a church member actually does, we first need to think, uh, what is the goal of church membership? Because if we have in our minds the wrong goal, then we'll certainly have the wrong actions to get there. And so uh, what I want to say is that for church membership, the reason we covenant together as a local body of believers is to help one another grow in Christ-likeness. We want to we help each other look more like Jesus. It's to help one another grow in our understanding of Scripture so that our minds would be built up with truth. It's to help one another grow in our personal holiness so that we would walk in obedience, not in sin. And it's to help one another work to fulfill the Great Commission. That's why we covenant together, trying to help each other look more like Jesus and obey Him in uh, fulfilling the Great Commission. And if that then is the goal of church membership, that's why we do it and we want to be that, then I want to address today two components of what biblical membership looks like. Two things that we do toward that common goal of helping one another look like Jesus and fulfill the Great Commission. And so the two components I want to mention today are serving one another and exhorting one another. Now those are sort of big topics that I hope to then provide some practical application for. Uh, but these are the two components of being a biblical church member. They're not the only two components, uh, but they are the two that I get to talk about today. And so our main idea, this is what I hope for us to see at the end of today, is that being a biblical church member means serving one another and exhorting one another in covenant community. Now we'll unpack what that looks like, but that's our main idea for today. So if you have your Bible open to Hebrews 3, we'll get to this passage later, but I want to read it now to begin to focus our minds. Stand with me, if you would, in honor of the reading of God's Word. Let me read for us uh, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. If you're there, say word. The writer here says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Let me pray for us. 
Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your scriptures, grateful that you have preserved them for us and that you have put us in a place where we have such ready access to them. And we ask that we would be responsible today, that we would take, uh, we would take the initiative to hear from you, to gather ready to receive, and that you would help us to learn more about what it means to be a biblical church member, and that by your Spirit you would begin to, to show us individually how we might um, flesh that out in our lives here at Crosspoint for the sake of the church, the common good, that we together would grow in Christ-likeness and serve you faithfully in the Great Commission. So to that end, guide us now, Father, and speak to us through your Spirit and your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to begin this morning with our first principle of two that we see in the Scriptures, and that is that being a biblical church member means serving one another with our spiritual gifts. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I promise it's not Bible drill. These are the only two places we'll go, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, I would encourage you to read the whole chapter later. We don't have time to go through all of it, but in this chapter, Paul is unpacking Spiritual gifts in the church. What does it look like to use the way God has gifted us to serve one another for the sake of the body? And I want to read for us, beginning in verse 4. I want to read verses 4 through 7. Uh, Paul writes this. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit, note this, for the common good. So to each is given the manifestation. Each one gets something different for the common good. In this text here and in the broader context of chapter 12, Paul is teaching us that God gives each of us as believers a gift. At least one, maybe more, but he gives us spiritual gifts. We are given these when the Spirit of God awakens us and dwells within us. And he gives us these, though they may be different, they all have one common purpose. Paul describes it here as the common good. Uh, Spiritual gifts, what we have, are meant to be used in the context of the church to build one another up. It's that old word that we sometimes use, edify, that we want to edify one another. That means to, to build up or strengthen one another in our faith and in our obedience. So spiritual gifts are never meant to be used for personal advancement. You know, we don't get to walk in the room and be like, oh, I have this gift, so I'm more important. I sit over here. And, oh, you just have one of those sort of non-important gifts. No, no, no. Spiritual gifts are never intended for personal advancement. They're meant for corporate enrichment. God gives them, as he sees fit, to be used for the sake of the body. And we use our gifts to help the local church here that we've covenanted together with grow up into spiritual maturity, into uh, personal uh, holiness. Paul describes this goal in Ephesians 4. He's talking about uh, God has given some as prophets and apostles and teachers, and he talks about equipping the saints. And then he describes this goal that we're aiming for in Ephesians 4.13. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, we want to be united in our faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, we want to increase our minds, what we know about him, to mature manhood, growing up and, and not being children in the faith, but growing up and being mature, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're aiming to look like Jesus. And to that end, God says, here are the gifts I will give so that you use them in the local church and you help one another grow. You help one another look more like Jesus over time. And what we learn here in in 1 Corinthians 12, again, I know we're moving quick, but 
What we learn in chapter 12 is that your gift, what God has given you, when it's expressed by your presence here in the gathering, here as when we come together as a body, it serves to grow the body into Christ-likeness. And what's amazing about that is that it means that whatever you bring to the table as your spiritual gift, what God has given you, whatever you bring to the table has eternal impact in the body of Christ. You may think in daily life, I don't feel like I'm contributing much to my job or to my family or to whoever. Maybe that, you, know, you may think that. But here, when you use your spiritual gift as God has given it, you are having a kingdom eternal impact on your fellow believers here. You can come and gather with us, use your gift, and go home knowing, I used what God gave me, and I impacted eternity. Because we're all going to spend eternity together. And we're on this journey to looking more like Jesus. And so Paul lays out this whole argument here in 1 Corinthians 12 of using your gifts. They're all different, understanding them, putting them into practice for the sake of the body. Now, as we think about spiritual gifts, I know sometimes we toss that language out. And it may be that you are a member and maybe have been for a while and simply don't know or maybe aren't confident in knowing what your spiritual gift is. Uh, you may be thinking, well, I see the list, and some of those sound interesting, but I don't know, I don't know which one's me. Okay? Now, there are some couple different options that you can do for discovering your spiritual gift. Has anyone ever done a spiritual gift inventory by show of hands? Okay, if you're not familiar, it's a long questionnaire where it's like, how do you feel about this, and do you enjoy this? And you get to the end, and it sort of ranks your points and tells you that you might have this spiritual gift. Now, I think those are helpful for maybe starting some conversations. I don't think they're an end-all. You know, it's not a blood test. You, know, it's like you have this. Um, but it, it gives you the idea of these are things that you, you might be gifted in. But I think the better way of knowing what our spiritual gift is is to use the wisdom of fellow believers. Because I think every time you meet a believer who's active in church who says, I'm not really sure what my gift is, I think if you talk to the people around them, They'll say, I know exactly what that person's gift is. They'll say, this person over here, oh, absolutely. They're encouragement all day long. I can see it. Or this person over here, oh, it's teaching. Absolutely. And so we look at the wisdom of believers around us who are being guided by the same Spirit, who are serving with us, and we ask them, what do you see God doing in our lives? If you're here and you don't know your spiritual gift, I want to encourage you, talk to the elders. Talk to your Sunday school teachers. Talk to the, the, the person in your discipleship group and say, how do you see God is gifting me to serve the body? Take those questions and say, I don't know what God has given me. What do you see him doing? And I almost guarantee you they'll be able to say, here's what I see. Here's how I see God has gifted you. Here's the passions I see. Here's the giftings and the abilities that you have. And here's how I see them serving in the body. Let me give you some examples of spiritual gifts. These are just a few of them and ways that you could use them here at Crosspoint. Uh, for example, you might have the gift of encouragement. I don't have that one. <laughs> uh, you might have the gift of encouragement. And you think, well, okay, what do I do? Just go around every day and say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. No, of course not. Uh, you could do things like writing letters to members who are in the hospital, or maybe members who are homebound. You could write letters to the pastors. Uh, you could encourage people. Um, you could write to them and, or, or tell them in person and say, hey, I just want to come up and say, this is what I see God doing in your life. Here's how I see him at work. I mean, what, a, what a, an, an encouragement that would be. 
Because sometimes we're living in life and we're just beat down and we think, man, I just can't see what God is doing in my life. What an encouragement it would be for those people to come alongside that just sort of just exude encouragement to say, hey, I just want to let you know I see God doing this in your life. You serve in the church and you're just beat down by the, the burden and the anxiety to get a card from someone that says, hey, I was praying for you this morning. Here's how I see God working in your life. I'm thankful for you. Just want to encourage you. Those things are life-giving. And you think, well, I don't, that's not one of the flashy, fancy you know, spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter. It's equally important. You may have the gift of administration. You may be one of those weirdos who walks in a room and just starts organizing things. Anybody like that? You know, the chuckle? Yeah. You just walk in and you think, oh, it's a mess. And you just sort of, you love spreadsheets. You love putting things in, in, in line and in order. And you think, how do I do that here at the church? Well, maybe that looks like you being the person that organizes a mission trip. That you're really good at keeping dates and calendars and events and all these moving parts. That for you is easy. And so by you doing the organizing, you allow and help those who are not gifted in that way, who want to go on the trip, to do that. Maybe you decide to volunteer a few hours a week to come help Michelle organize things. Y'all can go crazy. Whatever it is, you think, oh, I just, okay, I'm an organizer. I'm administration. What is that? Those things help the body. They help us collectively. Maybe you have the gift of evangelism. You know those people who would share the gospel with anybody? Michelle Bordelon. I have been on an airplane, and she's sharing the gospel with a guy next to her, and we haven't even taken off yet. It happens. And I praise God for people like that. They just, they just talk, and the gospel comes out. Maybe you have that gift. How can you help us? Maybe that means leading an evangelistic outreach ministry. Maybe that means teaching us how to be better proclaimers of the gospel. Us who come along inside and say, like, I don't know about talking to people. Help us and teach us. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Maybe you're just sort of the person that can take info and explain it to people and they understand. Use that here. Teach Sunday school. Teach an equipping class. Whatever it looks like. Uh, in your discipleship, class, you know, your discipleship group, open the Bible and say, let me share with you. We use those gifts and we're all built up. Imagine if we were all just administrators. What a dry bunch we'd be. Imagine if we were all encouragers. Well, that might be actually be a good thing. But we all have these different gifts, and we use them so that when we come together, we actually were all benefited. We take people who are uniquely gifted, and we serve one another so that we can pursue Christ better. Finding out what your gift is is so important. And so again, if you don't know, talk to the people around you. Let's figure it out, and then let's say, okay, you've got this gift. What does that look like here at Crosspoint? Maybe it's plugging you into something that already exists. Maybe it's starting something new. Maybe it's doing something that goes and just blows up and gets even bigger than Crosspoint. Who knows what God might do through your gift. When it comes to serving one another, everyone's equally important. You know, you can't say, well, I don't have that gift, so I'm not as important. If you read down later in the chapter, Paul actually uses the, the, the body imagery where it says, you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. Or the foot can't say to the arm, I don't need you. No, we, we need each other. We're equally important. You may not be physically able to do a lot for the church. That's okay. You can still serve. Maybe you're not a teacher. Maybe teaching for you is just like another language. That's okay. Maybe you're not an encourager. You're not an administrator. Whatever it is, what God has gifted you for, when we come here in the church and we gather and we serve together, that gift is supposed to come out of you for our benefit. And we're all enriched and we grow together. Simply put, we need you. I need you. You need me. We need each other. Being a biblical church member means serving one another. 
You know, don't have the idea of I'm going to serve the church, kick back, and just be catered to. No, not here. Not in this. We are meant to be put to work. Being a biblical church member means serving one another, putting our gifts and our talents, our time and our energy to work for the other members of our covenant community. But secondly, being a biblical church member means exhorting one another to remain faithful to Christ as we wait for his return. Look over again, back at Hebrews chapter 3. This is where we started. Hebrews chapter 3, being a church member means exhorting one another to remain faithful to Jesus as we wait for his return. Let me read again for us, beginning in verse 12. Okay, the writer says, Take care, brothers, writing to these Christians, take care, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. If you're unfamiliar with the context here in Hebrews, what the writer is doing is he's writing to these believers to warn them to warn them about the deceitfulness of sin and the temptations to go astray, to abandon their faith. And he uses as an example here the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember the story? They come out of, the, of Egypt and things are going great and then they start complaining about the food and so they wander around for 40 years and those who did not trust God, not believe God, end up dying and they don't see the promised land. Well, the writer of Hebrews uses that example. Oh, look at verse 16. He says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt or who left Egypt led by Moses? Same people who saw it, he says, they didn't believe. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The author of Hebrews here, he's writing his letter to people who claim to follow Jesus. He's writing this to a church. And he pleads with them, don't have an unbelieving heart. He pleads with them, don't miss out on entering into God's rest. In other words, this, this passage is a warning to people. You think about the people who he's writing to. They're living in a pagan culture. Idolatry is rampant. they got temples on every corner. And they're faced with these opportunities and these temptations daily to abandon their faith. If you read later in the book, he, he deals with the issue of persecution Either they're, not only are there temptations to just be idolaters everywhere, you've got persecution. And these people are on the verge of saying, you know what, I, I'm done with this. I have better things to do than to keep suffering like this. And he says, no, 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 look at the example in the Old Testament and don't give up. And just like the Israelites in the wilderness, you and I are faced daily with the same sort of temptations. I mean, we live in a pagan culture. With idolatry is rampant. It may not be, you know, Aphrodite's temple on the corner, but idolatry is everywhere. And we're faced with these temptations daily to give up, to give in, to abandon our faith and to say, you know what, I've been, I've been following this Jesus and I've got nothing but heartache to show for it. I'm done today. That's it. No farther. We're faced with those temptations. And we ought to see the warning here. Don't give up. Don't give in. And we're surrounded by these temptations, but one of the resources God gives us to help us remain faithful is the local church. God doesn't just call us and say, okay, I saved you now, go and survive. No, he draws us together into these local bodies and our covenant community, Crosspoint here, we are designed 
to help one another endure. To help one another not give up. How do we do that? It's this word exhort, exhortation. He says, look, take care that you don't have the unbelieving heart and instead exhort one another every day. This word uh, exhortation here is a very common word. I know you've heard it. As a noun, it's the word we use for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, the paraclete, uh, the one who is a helper, the one who is an encourager or the comforter. Uh, It means uh, someone who comes alongside and they they call to us. They, They come and they encourage and they speak to us and they urge us on. It's the same word used as a verb in uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, which we just studied in Sunday school. Titus 1.9, Paul is telling um, Titus the responsibilities of an elder, and he says an elder ought to be one who is able to give instruction in sound doctrine. That's the ESV translation. Others say encourage in sound doctrine. It's the same word here. So the writer of Hebrews says, look, Though we may be tempted to abandon our faith daily, he says, we need people who come alongside and they exhort us. They say, no, 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 don't give up yet. They say, look, there's the finish line. Keep going. Don't give up. Uh, Many of you know that um, I'm not an athletic person. I'm okay saying that. Uh, But this year, I really gotten into something called pickleball. And... uh, (laughs) And uh, it's a wonderful sport. It's sort of like a miniaturized tennis, so it's a little easier on the joints, but it's very athletic. In fact, Pastor Wes, it's his favorite sport, his new favorite sport. Uh, so if you don't know what pickleball is, YouTube it. It'll change your life. Um, but, I, you know, you play with two people against two people, and so I've, you know, playing with people all over town here. I meet a lot of different personalities. You know, some people play, and they're just very stoic, and they don't do anything. Some people are just emotion all over the place. But I've found that the people I like playing with best are people who are sort of part coach and part cheerleader. Because on the rare occasion when I do something wrong, um, they, they are the person who's there saying, look, shake it off, shake it off, one more point, let's go, we got to hold them, we're almost done, hang in there. They're that person who says, look, you know, mid-game, I'm ready to just walk off the court, I'm done with this, and they're saying, no, 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 don't give in, don't give up, keep going. That's the idea here. The writer of Hebrews says, look, we as a church, when we come together, we're beside one another saying, look, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. We're almost there. The fellow members of our team, if you will, are our church members. We need each other to come alongside us and encourage us. And he says here in Hebrews 3 that we ought to do this as long as it is called today. In other words, Until death comes for us or Jesus comes for us, we ought to exhort one another daily because every day we face these temptations and these trials where we just at some point want to say, you know what, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. We need fellow believers who come alongside and they say, you know what, out of all the other believers in town, it's us together. I'm on your team here at Crosspoint and we're going to make it. By God's grace and by his sustaining power and with the exhortation of fellow believers, we're going to make it. We're going to hang in this. We exhort one another. And you can actually see in the text here, we exhort one another in two ways. Away from sin and toward Christ. Let me see the first one here. We exhort one another away from sin. Verse 13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Anyone ever been burned by sin's deceitfulness? 
Sin will lie to us. It will promise us more than it can deliver. You think about Genesis 3. The devil comes in. He's like, oh, you won't die. It'll be fine. Eat the fruit. And then all the chaos and the mayhem that ensues. Sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you there longer than you want to stay. Sin is deceitful. It says, oh, this is wonderful. Come, come experience this. And then the destruction comes. Sin hardens us. It makes us less resistant to future sin. The farther we go into sin, the less we are able to avoid future sin because we become hardened to the Spirit of God, hardened to the voice of God, hardened toward repentance. The writer here says, look, exhort one another so that you're not led astray by the deceitfulness of sin. When we live in a covenant community together with one another like this, we naturally develop intimate relationships that are built on trust and transparency and vulnerability. I know that it doesn't mean that you're going to be that way with everybody. You don't have to be Dr. Phil for everybody. But there are groups of people within the church where you naturally gravitate more closely to. Maybe it's the people in your Sunday school group. Maybe it's the people in your discipleship group that you naturally develop those relationships with where you share your burdens, you share what your temptations are, your struggles. And those are the natural places for where we can come alongside and say, hey, you need to stay away from that thing. Hey, you, you are being led astray by this thing that promises you all this good stuff, but I can see it's just going to bring destruction. We can be a voice of warning for another, the spiritual smack upside the head that some of us need on a daily basis. We can be that when we are in a covenant community and we know one another and we trust one another. Some practical examples of what that looks like when you're exhorting people away from sin is that you challenge one another in love, in compassion, in gentleness. You challenge one another when you spot a sin creeping in. You may be thinking, well, that's not my job to point out things. It is your job. If you're a covenant member here of this church, then it is absolutely your job to go to other members and say, hey, I see this sin creeping in. Don't go there. Be that warning and say, look, you are being led astray by this issue. Come back. Uh, Maybe it looks like um, serving as a guardian to help each other stay away from the on-ramp situations. Meaning maybe it's um, having a role in someone's life where you're helping them to stay away from this situation, which you know is an on-ramp to destruction. Sort of being an extra layer of offense around someone. Maybe it looks like being a voice of truth so that we don't believe the lies from sin. And how would you ever do that unless you actually know one another? You covenant together. We're called to exhort one another away from sin because it's deceitful. It looks great. It promises a lot, but it destroys us. We exhort away from sin, and we exhort one another toward Christ. Look at what he says in verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our confession our original confidence firm to the end. We, I love that language. We have come to share in Christ. What unites us as a body of believers is not political affiliations or geography or language or anything like that, but it's fundamentally that we together have come to share in Christ, that we have heard the gospel, we have repented of our sins, we have enjoyed the forgiveness and the life that Jesus gives, that we have been born again, that we have been made new and we have been set free and now we come together, all those other things aside, and we say we have been united by the saving work of what God has done for us in and through the person of Jesus. That's what unites us. 
And so when we exhort one another toward Christ, we're essentially coming back and saying, look, I see you sort of wandering and straying a little bit. Come back to Christ who has saved you. Come back to the, the one that you have come to know. At the heart of the gospel message is the reality that we, having been made alive in Christ, are now partakers of him. We've been united to him. Paul used that language in 1 Corinthians 6. We're united to him, and we receive the life and blessings. And so temptations come along to stray away. Temptations come along to, to leave. What is it? Prone to, uh, prone to leave the God I love. We're prone to leave him. We're prone to walk away. And so we need those believers around us who are close enough to say, hey, come back to Jesus. Come back to the one who saves you. Come back to the one who loves you. Press in. And did you notice here he says, um, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Did you notice that? It's not just about saying, oh yeah, I'm with Jesus. No, it's those who endure. Those who hold fast to that original confidence. Only those who endure to the end can expect to receive their heavenly reward. There's no reward for people who say, sure, I'm with Jesus, and then things get tough and they go the other way. No, it's those who endure. Endurance itself is a sign of salvation. People sometimes ask, how can you really know somebody's saved? Two things, spiritual fruit and endurance. Those who endure are those who are saved because God sustains them. And when we exhort one another toward Christ, we are, again, forgive the pickleball analogy, we are on the team saying, come on, hang in there, press on to that finish line. Jesus is there waiting, don't give up. We're almost home. And just as with exhortation away from sin, so also exhortations toward Christ, we need a relationship in which we know one another well enough. Okay, so this sort of exhortation doesn't just happen you, you know, between Joe Schmo that you see at Walmart. This is something that happens in a covenant group here where we know and trust one another well enough to speak life to each other. You know, encouraging words from a stranger are nice, like, oh, thank you, strange person. I appreciate that. But, but encouraging words are more meaningful and more significant when they come from someone you know and trust. Isn't that right? We, it means more when it comes from them. And so let me give you some practical examples of ways that you might exhort one another toward Christ. One of those ways I was thinking through is pray for one another and then tell that person how you're praying for them. You know, it means something to say, hey, I'm praying for you. Okay, great. But it means so much more when someone comes and they says, hey, I prayed for you this morning and here's what I prayed. Pray for someone, maybe you know that they're struggling with a certain issue or they're in a certain situation. Maybe they're being faced with a temptation to leave and, and to fall away. And so you're praying against that. And then go and tell them, hey, I wanted to let you know this morning I prayed for you and I prayed for this specific thing. That's an exhortation to Christ, to know that someone in my fellow uh, church is praying for me. And I can actually know now, wow, they, those words were said to God on my behalf. Exhort one another through prayer. Exhort one another through discipling. We've pushed this year this discipleship group, meeting one-on-one -on -one with fellow believers. One of the things we do in that group, one of the reasons we meet, is because week to week as we come and we say, look, I'm just kind of blah, I'm kind of feeling like I'm going to go this way or that way, we say, no, no, no. Keep looking at Christ. And it's in that context where we know somebody well enough that they can say, hey, Jesus is better than this thing. Keep pressing in. Keep focusing. 
That's a great way to exhort one another toward Christ. Maybe it means speaking encouraging words, writing a letter, sending a card, uh, grabbing somebody in the hallway and just saying, hey, I just want to let you know. I was reading a verse in Scripture about Jesus. I just want to share it with you. All of those things, they may seem insignificant, but they are monumentally significant in this journey of exhorting one another to be like Christ and to hang in there. One other way, this may seem strange, is you can actually sing to one another. Do you notice a verse at the end of what Dr. David read at the beginning in Colossians 3? He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I take that to mean not only are we teaching and admonishing one another, but we're actually singing to one another. We come in here on a Sunday morning, we're not just singing to God, though that's our primary concern. We're actually also singing to one another. We're singing and, and we're proclaiming that Christ, the true and better Adam. I'm saying that to God as I rejoice in knowing him, but I'm also singing that for the people across the room who are tempted to believe that maybe Jesus isn't better. Sing to one another and exhort one another so that when you come here on a Sunday morning and we're just beat down and we look across and we say, hey, there's my discipleship partner over there, belting it out that Christ is the true and better Adam. We exhort one another toward Christ. I want to just ask you to consider for a moment, who is it here at Crosspoint that you have those sort of relationships with? Who is it that you could exhort toward Christ or away from sin? Again, I realize that we have different levels of knowing one another in a, in a body this large. I get that. But who is it? I hope that it's someone. I hope that it's maybe more than one someone that you have that sort of relationship with where you can go in and you can say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm seeing these things and I love you and you need to stop it because you're getting off into trouble. Or, hey, I just want to let you know, I see you struggling. I just want to remind you, Jesus is better. Hang in there. I know it's tough. Who do you have that kind of relationship with? And if you find that maybe you're struggling to think of them, ask God to give you those relationships. Sure, it takes work. Sure, it takes time. But we've got time, and it's worth the work. I want to end... Um, with a, a bit of a different focus here, I, I want to share three enemies of biblical church membership. You know, I've talked about, look, this is, you know, we, we need to be members, and this is what we do. We're serving one another. We're exhorting one another. But as I began to think about uh, this topic, I, what came to mind was uh, three enemies, three things that can get in the way of being a biblical church membership, being a healthy church membership. And so I'll just give you these three, and I'll, I'll give you a few uh, thoughts on them as well. Uh, they are being passive, being distant, and being absent. Let me begin with number one, being passive. Uh, there, hopefully you've caught this, that as we're talking about all the things that we're doing here as a biblical church membership, hopefully you've seen that it's, it's a work. Right? It takes effort and intentionality. And there's a temptation to come here weekly and take the airline approach. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. We sort of, you know, put your tray table up, you know, get your TV out. And we come, and there's that temptation to come here on a Sunday morning, sit down, and just watch the show. To be a passive listener. Let, let the music sort of wash over you. Uh, let the sermon sort of wash over you, in one ear, out the other. And never really take away anything. It's being a consumer. With that mindset, Sunday morning is no different than going down to Cinemark and watching the new Star Wars movie. We come and we just sort of sit here and we listen. Maybe, but ultimately what we do here is irrelevant because we've we got to go back to normal life after this. We come here passively. 
We're going to go back to the real world later. And I want to challenge you if you're here this morning and you're a member, or even if you're not a member and you want to become one, um, I want to challenge you to be an active participant in the covenant community. When you come here on a Sunday morning, come expectantly. Come ready to receive from God. Open your Bible and say, God, I'm here. I want to hear from you. Be active. Be intentional. Um, be intentional to sing. You know, I don't sing so well. Don't care. Sing. Be intentional to pray, to hear the word. Be intentional to find somebody you haven't seen in a while and say, hey, how are you doing? Good to see you again. Be an active member. Don't gather passively because you neither receive anything nor do you contribute anything. Don't be passive. It's a that's a temptation that we all face. A uh, second enemy of biblical church membership is being distant. What I mean by this is it's the people who come, but they never open up. You know, I kind of come in, I sit on my chair, you say over there, I'll give you a, you know, I'll, you know sure, how's the weather, good to see you, but I never open up beyond that. Uh, we avoid, we come for whatever reason, but we avoid intimacy, we avoid accountability. Um, I know people like this that resist membership, they resist being part of a body of believers because they don't want anybody to say, hey, we didn't see you last week, where, where were you? What's the matter where I was? Not your responsibility, it's just me. They're resistant to, to actually being open, being vulnerable, being accountable to someone. Being distant is an enemy. You think about the relationships we talked about, about being able to exhort one another. If you come and you're distant all the time, nobody knows you well enough to exhort you nor you them. We have to, to open ourselves to be able to know how we might exhort you. I need to, to know some of your struggles. I need to know the things that we can pray for. I need to know you well enough to speak life. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you, open up in church. Well, you know, Again, I'm not saying you've got to stand up right now and just bear all your th- dirty laundry, but in, in the context that you have in a Sunday school or maybe in a small group as you feel comfortable, share. Share with people what's going on so that they can love you and pray for you and encourage you and exhort you. I know that this is scary. As an introverted person, this is terrifying. But there's great joy here. It's terrifying because church families are a lot like biological families. Few people in life can encourage you more greatly or wound you more deeply than your biological family and your church family by nature of the relationships that we have. But there is a great joy in sharing life together, not just sharing a room together. And those are radically different. There's great joy in sharing life together, not just sharing a room together. So open up in church. Open yourself. Get to know one another as as you have uh, uh, opportunities so that you can exhort, so that you can serve. And so that we together can look more like Jesus. And then the last um, enemy here of being uh, a biblical member, hopefully you've seen the importance of being here. Uh, how do we serve one another? How do we exhort one another if we're not here? Uh, this is a pandemic. You know, we talk about we're being in a COVID pandemic. Uh, the pandemic really is that so many people have abandoned the church. Uh, there, there are some new studies coming out that say the new regular attendance a regular attender of Sunday services is now considered once a month. 
which seems baffling to me. If you say you go to church once a month, I'd say that's, that's not regular at all. That's sporadic. But that's becoming the new thing now. People say, oh, sure, I'm connected to this church. I go faithfully once a month. But you're absent most of the time. How could you ever have those relationships when you're not there? How could you serve when you're not there? I mean, if you look at the, the imagery from 1 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about each member is like a part of the body. How could we ever have a whole body when half our arms and legs aren't here? We have to be present in order to be biblical church members. I'll just bring it home. Um, here at Crosspoint, we have roughly 145 members, but on average, we see about 70 to 75 of those on a Sunday. I'm no math genius, but that means half of our flock is gone on any given Sunday. Half of the people who, who look at our covenant and say, yes, I'm with those people, I'm with that group, are nowhere to be seen on a Sunday. And what amazes me is week to week, it's a different 50%. I long for the day when we could get everybody who comes sometimes to come on the same day. It'd be fantastic to see everybody who covenants together here. Okay, now I recognize that some people are providentially hindered. Don't stone me yet. I realize that there are people who cannot come. I absolutely get that. Uh, the old language is providentially hindered, that um, health concerns, maybe they're homebound, maybe they're deployed in the military. I get those things. But for people who are able to gather, but willfully don't because they're just doing other things, Paul would say you're robbing the body of its parts. You're the arm, and now we've got to survive Sunday without an arm. And that may seem strange or radical, but that's the idea here. You know, I think about previous generations. I think about, you know, my grandma's generation and, and those who came before. They had the attitude of, short of being too sick to go, or being maybe out of town once or twice a year for vacation, short of that, come hell or high water, I'm going to be at church on Sunday. That was the attitude. But that, I think, is we're long past that. Now it's sort of a, well, I'll go if I don't have something better. I'll go if I don't have something more interesting. And so church attendance loses out to youth sports. Oh, sure, we'll be at church on Sunday as long as a kid doesn't have a game today. Do you know what that teaches your kid? It teaches your child that church is important so long as nothing else is more important. It teaches your child that, well, you know, the Bible says we ought to gather together, but they didn't have youth baseball at that time, so we're going to do that instead. And we wonder why our children go up and just abandon the church altogether. Well, they've never learned it's important. The church attendance, you know, we, we gather here on Sunday, and we lose out to people who say, well, that's my only day to sleep in. Okay, I'm glad Jesus didn't say that on the day he went to the cross. You know, it's my only day to sleep in. Take a nap Sunday afternoon. That's what I do. Part of my Sunday worship, it doesn't end until I wake up from my nap. I'm dead serious. My Sunday for the Lord starts when I walk in here and I'm opening doors and all that stuff, and it ends when I wake up from my nap. That's part of it. I'm serving and then I'm resting. Take a nap, but be here. You know, people say, well, you know, I'll, I'll be there on Sunday just as long as I don't have too much stuff going on on Saturday and I'm too tired. Being here Sunday starts on Saturday. Make it a priority. That's my challenge. Prioritize the weekly giving. I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm just saying you ought to be here. Short of divine providence and things outside of your control, you ought to be here. If you remember and you say, I covenant together, and, because we need you. It's not just about like, oh, you ought to be on the roll and you're getting a lot of X's on your name. No, it's 
we're a covenant community. How could we ever be vibrant and healthy and growing and exhorting one another and serving one another if half of us aren't here? We can't do that. We have to be here. We have to be present. We need to prioritize the weekly gathering. You know, generally speaking, in America, churches are weak and unhealthy. I mean, just look at some of the surveys coming out recently about doctrinal positions. It's terrible. Churches are weak and unhealthy, just rampant, um, unbiblical views. And I think that part of the reason is because our people aren't here. You know, how, how could I grow in my understanding of Jesus if I'm not here? Uh, how could I grow in holiness if I'm not here for other believers to, to take me by the arm and say, hey, no, 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 you don't go down that way. Let's go this way. We have to be together. Our churches are often filled with people who are passive, they're distant, and they're absent. How then could we ever think that we would have a biblical, vibrant, growing, mutually beneficial membership? We just can't. It's impossible. We need to be together. And so I want to challenge you to be the opposite of those things. Be an active church member. Be an open church member. And be a present church member for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of everybody else who's here. You think like, well, it's, you know, it's just me and Jesus, I'm on my own. No, when you covenant together, you're not alone anymore. Now you're with us, and we need you. You might be the arm that we need to open the jar today, whatever it is. We need you. Being a church member is not merely about completing a list of events each week. It's not just about, oh, I'm a member, I did these things. It's not just about filling our calendars. We're members of a covenant community, as I said earlier, so that we can help one another grow in Christ-likeness that we can help one another grow in our understanding of Scripture. We can help one another grow in our personal holiness. And we can together work to fulfill the Great Commission. And if you really get this, that means that if I covenant together and then I am distant or passive or absent, I am now robbing people of the contribution I make. I'm now making it more difficult in this, this endeavor to, to grow in Christ-likeness because I'm not there to help and contribute. And the flip side of that is, I'm not there, so now I'm not growing either. As covenant members here at Crosspoint, I just want to uh, end with this exhortation, good plug there, exhortation, to commit ourselves to serving one another and exhorting one another. Whether you've been a member here for a week or 10 years or however long this church has existed, I want to encourage you to think this week, how can I better serve one another and how can I better exhort one another? Ask the Lord to show you Talk to the elders, talk to your Sunday school teachers, ask people, how can I better contribute and help out here? Because I want to be a blessing to the church. I want to be a, a boost to the church. And may God give us the wisdom that we need. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we are, of course, again, grateful for your word. Uh, even when we encounter in it uh, things that are difficult to chew on and difficult to receive, uh, we pray for all of us here, those of us who um, have covenanted together here at Crosspoint that as we are able and you give us uh, the divine providence to be here, help us to be here, to serve here, to exhort here so that we as a body of Christ would grow and be healthy. Not concerned about numerical, but spiritually we would grow and look more like Jesus, that we would be more obedient, more faithful, uh, more um, marked by holiness and more diligent to serve in your kingdom. May it be so for your sake and for ours. In Christ's name, 
Amen. Let's stand together, and I want to invite the band back up as we close and um, hopefully chew on this a little bit. Let's sing and give praise to God this morning.